This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Hello and welcome to Saber, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about fudge. Yes, which Lauren and I discussed. I could have sworn up and down we'd already done an episode on fudge. I had to search our archives like twice to make extra sure, but nope. I think we've just discussed adjacent things. Like where we've mentioned it. Sundays. Um, yeah. We did pralines or Pralines or pray lines, mm -hmm. whichever of Good those enough. you want to say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, we did. Uh, which brings me to I'm actually not a big fudge person. Me neither. Um, every now and then I enjoy it, but it's definitely not something I seek out. But as I mentioned in the praline, praline, whatever episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> There is, I come from a tourist town, uh, and there is a fudge shop in that tourist town, which I'm actually not going to shout out because I don't know. The old owner used to be not great. Um, but oh, oh, that's fun. Okay. I don't, I don't know who owns it now. I don't know the full details, but I'm just not going to shout it out. But there was a fudge shop there, and it was sort of a rite of passage. A lot of times people would work there in high school. Um and that's where my dad would get those, the turtles that we talked about in that episode, which was just like pecans, maybe caramel, caramel, and then <laughs> fudge on top. But it was just, a, it was a very big touristy thing. You would go there. They had all kinds of fudge you could sample. And that's like my biggest association with fudge. Yeah, yes. that, that type of situation is definitely my biggest association, like that kind of like small tourist or, or like like Disney World kind of situation mm. where you just smell it as you're walking down the street and then you see the big window with someone making it and like all of the beautiful bright candy colors and uh, and just going like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Even, even though I don't, even though I'm aware of the fact that I'm not particularly going to enjoy it that much, it's a little <laughs> bit too sweet for me. I'm like, no, mm -hmm. I want some of that though. Right. It smells so good. 
Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yes. Was there any particular reason this was on your mind? I guess I was trying to think of something summery that I sort of associate with, yeah, like summer vacation. And, mm-hmm. uh, or who knows? I, <laughs> I, I feel Could like be. I say every recording session <laughs> that I'm having a long week, but that's just been true lately. So uh, mm-hmm. here we are. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Tues- it's Tuesday. It's already a long week. There you go. <laughs> Tuesday's my least favorite day of the week. Did you know no, that? No, I did not know that. Yeah. Because I feel like Monday you at least have the bump of like a new week. Tuesday you're like, oh, I still have so much further to go until <laughs> <laughs> the weekend. <laughs> There's a whole Seinfeld bit about this. Oh. Hey. hey. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, you can see our past episodes we've done on chocolate. Um, things like taffy, I feel like, is sure. in the same. Same oh, realm. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, also, uh, yeah, um, National Fudge Day is June 16th, so we've dead missed that one. Just absolutely about the furthest away that we can get from being timely. <laughs> and I had to think about it for a minute because I no longer know what day it is anymore. <laughs> I have to say I, It could be. That's right <laughs> around the corner. I don't it's know. August now. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Cool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, let's clarify some things. Fudge. What is it? Well, uh, fudge can refer to a lot of things, actually. But what we are talking about today is a type of uh, slab candy, usually made of uh, sugar, cream, and butter, plus flavoring. Um, It's thick and firm at room temperature, but, but still easily sliced. And when you eat it... It immediately goes from like slightly chewy to just soft and creamy and melt in your mouth. Um, It can come in any number of flavors, infinite flavors, I'm telling you. But the classic is like chocolate fudge or vanilla fudge um, with or without chopped nuts in it. Um, It's often made and sold in small candy shops in walkable tourist areas, often with the kitchen right up next to big windows to the streets that you can watch it being made. It's, uh, It's like if ice cream were shelf stable. And a little bit achingly sweet. Um, it's uh, it is the smell of small town tourism in the summer. It's uh, it's like eating a Norman Rockwell painting, um, like nostalgic and rich and saccharine, but but like still still good, still good, good, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, Some, somewhere <laughs> in that range. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so so yes, there are endless iterations of fudge, uh, flavored with every kind of, of fruit syrup or nut butter or uh, kind of creamy thing or liqueur or other like desserty sweet to salty sweet concept that you can possibly imagine and probably several that you cannot. Um, and I say that, I mean, I believe in your imagination skills, y'all. And so like, it's a serious fudge world out there. Um, you can also mix in anything that's kind of dry and shelf-stable. Um, other candies and nuts are common. You can make vegan fudge using non-dairy butter and non-dairy milk. It can range from, like, fairly stiff to, to softer and creamier. But the, the key, no matter what else you're doing, is going to be that smooth, melt-in-your-mouth texture. And the key to that is candy science. What? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about sugar. Um, okay. 
So what we refer, what we refer to as table sugar, sucrose, likes being a crystal at room temperature. Um, and, you know, that that's how you most commonly purchase it in a big bag of more or less evenly formed crystals. Uh, if you ate a spoonful of those crystals, they'd be pretty crunchy, though. And this is not what you want from your fudge. You might want crunchy things in your fudge, but you want the fudge itself to be nice and creamy. Um, so making fudge is the process of tricking a bunch of big sugar crystals into, like, reconstituting themselves into a lot of tiny sugar crystals, helped by and bound up in tasty, tasty fats so that the whole mass is, is smooth and creamy. You do this by creating a supersaturated solution of water and dissolved sugar, and then gently, carefully, slowly letting the sugar recrystallize with help of the fats throughout to, to kind of mitigate the process, all right? Candy making is all about controlling the saturation of sugar in solution with water, and then controlling the crystallization of that sugar out of the solution. Um, you control the saturation by, by dissolving the sugar into water and then heating the solution up past the boiling point of water. So the water starts evaporating out, right? And thus the concentration of sugar in the solution increases. When you've reached whatever concentration you're going for, you let the solution cool down again, and then the way that you treat it at this stage will determine how all of those loosey-goosey sugar molecules form back up with each other um, and any other stuff that you've got in the mix. If you go all the way up to like a 99% sugar concentration and then let it set real still and slow, uh, you've got a lollipop. At 90% sugar concentration, d depending on what else you add and, and whether you mess with it or leave it still, you might have nougat or you might have rock candy, respectively. Um, it, it, it's, it's concentration and agitation that results in your final product. For fudge, we're looking for about 85% concentration and a very specific pattern of agitation. All right. Um, the, the, the water content in your fudge comes from cream and butter or, or whatever other kind of milk type stuff you're using. So you, you dissolve your sugar in about an equal combined weight of cream and butter. Maybe uh, some recipes have you hold the butter for later. I can't tell you what to do. Um, but, but then after the sugar dissolves, without stirring or otherwise messing with it any further, you, you heat the solution to right around 235 to 240 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 112 to 116 Celsius. And I'm saying it that precisely because, uh, fun thing, actually, the, the concentration of sugar in a solution directly correlates to the temperature of a solution. And that temperature that I just quoted at you is about 85% concentration, um, or as you would say in candy making, the soft ball stage. And at that point, it'll, it'll be uh, glossy, like a, like a super saturated mass and also very hot, uh, so, so be careful. Um, you then, as it starts to cool, either manually or with a mixer, start slowly and steadily stirring it. Again, sugar is looking to be a crystal. Um, when it's in a solution, any little thing can set off the crystallization process. Uh, that's why you don't want to stir it or like scrape down the sides as you're cooking it, because you could spawn crystal nucleation. 
uh, the, the, the molecules will, will start locking up together. And then suddenly you've got this grainy, gritty mass. Um, it is wild. If you've never seen this happen, it is wild to watch how fast this can happen and how like relatively large the crystals can get very quickly. Um, but in the case of fudge, the, the the fats that you've added from the cream and butter are keeping a little bit of elbow room between the molecules, yeah, um, and then stirring gently and steadily with that elbow room allows nucleation to happen in a whole lot of places, independently and simultaneously throughout the mass. So each crystal only grows to be tiny, and there are a whole lot of them. Um, at this point, the mixture will have lost its gloss because of the way that tiny crystals are now scattering light rather than kind of reflecting it, and it'll thicken up. Um, so you kind of sludge it out into a tray, uh, smooth it out, let it cool, and further crystallize for another like eight hours or so, and then you have fudge. Uh, along, along, along in the stirring stage, you can add uh, flavors or mix-ins. You can sprinkle mix-ins on the top later. Um, but yeah, that's fudge. Um, it is a little bit of work, and, and I highly recommend having a candy thermometer if you're going to embark on this yourself. Um, some recipes call for other stuff that'll help prevent uh, premature crystallization, like corn syrup or a cream of tartar. But, uh, yeah, fudge. Yeah, my friends who worked at the, the store I mentioned, um, they said it was very physical. Like, it was a tiring process. Oh, sure. Yeah, stirring, man. Never underestimate <laughs> stirring. <laughs> don't. Please don't. Uh, well, what about the nutrition? No, treats are nice. You know, it's yeah. it's sugar and butter and cream. That's it's it's calorically dense. Um, I eat eat a vegetable and some protein <laughs> and drink some water. All three. Yeah, but treats what are a nice. meal that would be <laughs> fudge <laughs> and a vegetable. Some water. Yeah. And, and a protein. <laughs> and a protein. Okay. A, a, a fully balanced meal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, part of your balanced breakfast for sure. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, uh, we do have some numbers for you. We do. Um, uh, okay. The Google Trends graph for the search term fudge in the United States is just one hilariously large spike every December as people <laughs> get ready for the winter holidays. Um it is most searched in West Virginia, Kentucky, and Maine how, in the U.S. Um, however, it is by far the most popularly searched in New Zealand. Um, and then the U.K., Ireland, and South Africa are all, like, closer to the U.S. in terms of search traffic. But I don't know what's happening with fudge in New Zealand. Y'all have to write in yes, and let us please. know. Because apparently <laughs> it is a very big thing. Yes. I'm very curious. Yeah. Um... World record for you. Um, the Guinness record for the largest slab of fudge was achieved in 2010 in Canada. Um, it weighed 2.61 metric tons. Um, that's about 5,760 pounds. Um, it took a week to make and uh, contained like stripes or sections of, of vanilla, chocolate, and maple. Mm. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Just the thought of like trying a piece of that is making me, I feel like I, when I have fudge, the first bite is nice and that's it. Like <laughs> the rest of it is too it's rich. Too, like it just, too sweet, too sugary, too rich. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's, it's not that I don't like it, but that first bite is like, 
You're like, well, that's in enough. In your face. Yeah. And if I'm seeing like stripes of vanilla chocolate and maple inside the fudge, oof. And it's a lot. It's yeah. A lot. Yeah. I mean, that's also like the weight of like a large SUV. So. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, some people can eat a lot of fudge, do love it, uh, seek it out. Um, and one of those places that people go to is Mackinac Island, um, which we're going to talk about more in the history section. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Mackinac Island in northern Michigan is often viewed as America's modern day fudge capital. It has a dozen fudge shops. Uh, in the summer, when tourists that are called fudgies uh, come, <laughs> these shops may sell up to 1,000 pounds a day to meet demand. Um, and that less than wild. 600 people live there. So, yeah, it is very wow. wild. <laughs> wow. All right. So no, fudge. hey, great. Yeah. Great. How oh, good for them. Happy about it. Yeah. I, I was looking up some of the menus before we got on just to see. I was like, Ooh. oh yeah, what kind of fudge are they selling was, in Mackinac Island? <laughs> was, was was anything a standout? Uh, not really. Oh. Um, and I don't say that in any. It was just a lot no of diss. stuff that I've seen. Yeah, sure. no. Okay. I'm sure. Yeah. Like if I dug deeper, there would have been. But most of the stuff I was seeing on my very short search was like, oh yeah, yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, but it must be good. People go there. Yeah. To get it. I think I think the 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 ones that that really or the one that really surprised me as I was kind of browsing around um uh was I read about some licorice fudge out of the oh. UK and I was like, nah, huh. Huh. Yeah. Huh. And both both of us are kind of making the same face, which I hope through our vocalizations is translating. But yeah, yeah, it's just like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that being in my mouth. Uh sure. It's a mixed bag. Yeah. I, I saw a popcorn one and that one I'm curious okay. about. But I don't know. I mean, listeners again, please write in. Oh yeah. Oh, if you have a favorite flavor, if you've oh. got, yeah, a favorite oh. shop. Yes. But but okay, but we are getting ahead of ourselves. In the meanwhile, um, this all had to start somewhere. (laughs) It did. (laughs) It did. And it was kind of a surprising origin story for me, to be honest. Yeah, Um, yeah. And uh, we are going to get into that origin story as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga! How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. 
What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. Yes. And again, you can see our chocolate episodes, taffy Mm -hmm. related. Sure. To this one. Sure. But yes, uh, most sources claim that Fudge is a Baltimore original, um, circa the 1880s. One big piece of evidence that's often cited was a letter out of the 1920s describing something that happened in the 1880s. um, And in it, the writer claimed that her roommate at Vassar whipped up this first batch of fudge and the students, fortunate enough to try it, Loved it. Uh, Loved it, loved it. Um, However, the same letter mentions a place in Baltimore selling fudge for 40 cents a pound as early as 1886, which really confused me. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of a wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey things going on. And I I think also, like, right, this this letter, indeed, was from the 1920s describing Mm -hmm. things from the 1880s. So, yes. Boop. Yes. (laughs) Boop indeed. Um, Early fudge recipes required exact measurements and constant stirring. As Um, they do today, but uh, they didn't probably have candy thermometers at the time. So there you go. Yep. Again, tiring Mm -hmm. from what I hear. Uh, The writer of the letter, one Emmeline Battersby Hattridge, great name, Mm -hmm. uh, loved fudge so much that she made 30 pounds of it for an event at Vassar. According to Mental Floss, fudge was so popular on campus that, as printed in their alumni magazine, quote, students would make it in the middle of the night, dangerously diverting the gas from their lamps for the task. Yeah, it was it was a whole student thing. Like it wasn't being served to them in the cafeteria is being made by them often after hours. Um, A poem published in the college's yearbook in 1893 read, What perches us upon a chair to stir a saucepan held in air, which tipping pours upon our hair? Fudges. (laughs) I do love this because there's something about the the making and sharing of something. that you love so much yeah. and doing it even despite <laughs> difficulty, perhaps despite uh, danger <laughs> and <laughs> rules um, that I just really am endeared by Absolutely, kind of worried by. <laughs> well, and, and especially for something as like relatively wholesome as fudge as we yeah. conceive of it today. Like today, it's such a kind of like old fashioned product that it's like, oh, right, Aww. right. and and. Like speaking to that point, from this instance, fudge was spread, recipes were adapted, especially amongst women and in women's colleges. There were recipe swaps. There were songs that were sung. There were funds that were raised. Some sources even suggest that women would make it in secret as a form of rebellion. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so, so the rebellious part of it, like women's colleges 
at the time were really strict with their students. Um, and at uh, Vassar, Vassar in particular, like curfew was 10 p.m. Um, in general, women weren't allowed to like go out on the town and carouse like their dude counterparts might have been um, or like they, their dude counterparts might have been like a little bit less strictly watched. So they could sneak mm -hmm. out a little bit more easily or were kind of encouraged to a little bit. Um, also, like, due to food health kind of ideals at the time that emphasized plain and simple foods, like, there was this moral panic a little bit about rich and sugary treats. We've talked about this ad infinitum in episodes about cereals, mostly. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like... Sitting around and, like, grilling oysters on a hat pen or making fudge standing on top of your chair <laughs> to, mm -hmm. to, to, to get a pan up to the gaslight, like, doing that after curfew was indeed a rebellion. Oh, I love this idea. Grilling oysters <laughs> and fudge. What? Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, Welsh rabbit was the other was the other dish that I heard. Oh, so good. <laughs> right? So good. Um, well, other sources report that the invention of fudge was due to an accident. We hear that story all the time mm -hmm. um, that a confectioner made while trying to make chocolate caramel candies. Basically, it was a temperature mistake. Yeah, temperature and, then, and stirring. I've heard that that happened in France, but I haven't read any sources backing it up. Mm -hmm. But whether or not that is true, a lot of folks doing research in this space do think it probably was an accident. Um, which is interesting because, according to Chow Hound, the word fudge has been used to denote something foolish or annoying since the 19th century. And Merriam-Webster suggests that in verb form, it meant something to exceed proper bounds or to cheat, uh, perhaps as far back as the 16 or 1700s. Um, so, like, the kid-friendly insult apparently came into vogue in the 1800s, um, and some speculate that fudge got the name because someone fudged up. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a really interesting etymology because, like, definitely by the end of the 1700s, this usage of, of fudge to mean nonsense, um, to, to, to refer to something, like, made up on the spot, like, you just fudged that up. Um, mm -hmm. uh, that, that was in fairly wide use by the end of the 1700s. So it genuinely seems like the name of the candy came from this use of this word. Um, Interesting. the etymology behind that is a little bit more complicated and no one truly knows where it came from. People think that it's like, maybe it's based on a surname that was based on another surname. I, yeah, I didn't write out <laughs> notes. It just seemed, it, it seems like the word itself is a little bit nonsense and a mistake. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I did think of several examples, uh, Christmas story being prominent of them, of substituting that word for a worse word <laughs> when, in, when we're cursing. Yeah. Um, yes. And it sounds like it's just, as you might suspect, a sound based. Mm -hmm. <laughs> thing. Um, at any rate, uh, by the early 1900s, uh, fudge was no longer a fad at women's colleges um, and had begun to spread to tourist spots. 
Yes. Uh, Mackinac Island's fudge business allegedly got started alongside their tourist business in the 1800s. At the time, candy was more of a treat uh, than we see it as today. And it was worthy of a trip, a special thing to seek out. Mm-hmm. By the 1920s, downtown Mackinac boasted several fudge shops. Um, and there is some speculation about why fudge is such a touristy thing. Um, most tourist strips have fudge. Uh, as far back as 1901, a U.S. pamphlet read, People will stop to see almost anything done, especially if the performance requires some particular knowledge. Hmm. I love that. It's true. I mean, it's... Oh, yeah. it's like watching this, I think the smell is a really key part of it. Oh, yeah. The smell and then getting to see it in the window and then getting the free sample. Like they like pull you in. They do. They do. And then you're like, oh. It's like a Venus flytrap. <laughs> yes, yeah. it is. I agree. <laughs> oh, um, and I didn't look, I didn't look too deeply into it, but, um, but I think that the, um, okay, so, so the creation and popularity of this type of fudge candy sort of got mixed up in the popularity of, uh, ice cream shops and soda fountain shops right around the same time, like right around the turn of the century and led to a deliberately oversoft version of fudge meant to be served warm, uh, being hot fudge. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that was my favorite a Dairy Queen, not a sponsor order when I was a kid. Hot fudge someday. Oh, mm. I love a hot fudge. Gosh, I love a hot fudge. Everything Me that too. I everything that I've been saying about fudge, about how it's too sweet and whatever, whatever. If you make it warm and you put it on ice cream, I'm all in. <laughs> it's like the <laughs> <laughs> the mixture of like texture and temperatures, though, yeah, like it it balances out in a way. Mm-hmm. Oh. And you and you can use a little bit less sugar in hot fudge because you don't need it to be. You, the sugar is what helps it firm up um, mm. in solid fudge, so it mm-hmm. it can be a little bit less sweet. Mm. Well, I'm really curious to hear from listeners from from the United States because everything. In our country, seems like we have references in certain regions, oh, but also certainly. outside of the country. Like, I'm really curious what the fudge situation is in New Zealand, but also everywhere else. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm curious. Is it a tourist thing? I, everywhere? yeah, I, I, I know that it's a holiday thing pretty much everywhere. Um, and from what, from what I was kind of gleaning, yeah, it's, I don't know, it. It's so weird to me that it is, it seems to be a very specifically English speaking world thing. Right. Yeah. I think that maybe there was some, like, like one article that I was reading about one of the big UK producers does export some to like Germany. Y'all, y'all let us know. Yeah. I mean, it is a huge holiday thing. I wonder if that's, I'm sure it's part of it, but I wonder if it's, we're overcomplicating it and it's just that it is really rich and was kind of hard to make and they're like yeah. okay holidays holidays yep <laughs> yes yes uh well listeners we're counting on you to let us know yeah. uh in the meantime that's what we have to say about fudge for now it is uh we do already have some listener mail for you though and we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from one more quick break for a word from our sponsors
This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. And we're back. Thank you, Sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with Listener Oh, I think I think I was really off key that time. I'm sorry. Oh, unforgivable. How could you be <laughs> off key over our wonky video calls when you can't hear what I'm doing and you're depending on me to signal to you? I don't understand. <laughs> you're right. I'm a failure. <laughs> no, it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. Anyway, um, more an apology to the listeners. I hope I hope yes. I didn't just offend your delicate sensibilities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love we listeners. We don't get to hear this how it sounds until Andrew, super producer Andrew, sends it to us. Yeah, for uh, listening before we publish, and it's always you do a great job, super producer Andrew. Oh yeah. Oh my heck. <laughs> but it's a surprise to us as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sheldon wrote about our Quaker Oats episode and the memories that it brought back. Uh, quote, this time from a long time ago, back in the late 50s with Quaker Oats, we were four kids very close in age. The oldest was six and the youngest was four. A set of twins were in there. As you can imagine, four kids that close in age would be playing and laughing together all the time. We had an old great, great aunt who we called Auntie Margaret a heavyset woman with white hair. I don't remember much of her other than her heavyset face, white hair, she wore a hat, and that she said, beautiful, <laughs> instead of beautiful. <laughs> so one morning, the four of us were sitting at the breakfast table, and the canister of Quaker oats was on the table. My younger sister looked at it and said, look, it's Auntie Margaret crying. Same heavy face, the eyes were not that clear on the older picture, and even a similar hat. It did <laughs> look just like her. If you look at the eyes on the older pictures, it's easy to imagine they are crying. As kids do, we started laughing and laughing and couldn't stop. Oh. And then after that, every time we would have oatmeal for breakfast, we would still look at Auntie Margaret crying. Now, almost 65 years later, the four of us still call that picture 
Auntie Margaret crying, even though the newer <laughs> pictures look nothing like her. Amazing how many times your shows bring back memories. <laughs> I love this. I I have similar memories where when you're a kid, it seems so silly. But for some reason, it's just really, really funny. Yeah, uh, it just tickles a, you for whatever reason. Yes. And I have plenty of them around food. One of my big ones is my dad, who was notoriously not a good cook. Like, huh. he, he could do certain things, but that realm was small. <laughs> uh, and one time he he was tired and he had to like make his uh, dinner and he... that's making me laugh just thinking about it yeah he there was this popcorn bowl that we used for popcorn every night um because i loved popcorn we loved popcorn (laughs) and it would have like the kernels in it Mm -hmm. and it would just sit out like we wouldn't wash it we would just like use it again and again so it was just sitting out and my dad (laughs) i really wanted soup and he got a can of Campbell's soup and he opened it up and he just poured it into the popcorn, into the popcorn bowl. <laughs> bowl. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, it was like the funniest thing ever. <laughs> and to this day, like me and my siblings, will I could just say like popcorn soup. And we all know what, <laughs> what I was talking about. And it sounds so like minor, but it was just really, really funny. <laughs> Because it was like a big popcorn bowl. I'm not talking like a little individual. I'm talking yeah. about like the, your shareable popcorn bowl. Sure. And you just poured this individual soup can in there. Yeah, I'm sure it was just like a tiny little puddle of soup in the bottom of this yeah. clearly popcorn bowl. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And he told me not to tell my mom and I immediately told her. I was like, <laughs> Look at what this guy did. Wow. Wow. <laughs> it was too funny not to share. <laughs> You weren't narking. You were sharing. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, that's amazing. Uh, Auntie Margaret sounds amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. And and I remember looking at those older pictures of, of the Quaker Oats dude and thinking, like, he looks sad. Like, I wonder why he's sad. Um, yeah. <laughs> he felt like he had a lot going on. Yeah. That mm-hmm. he was pondering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Arik wrote about salt. Another wonderful revisit. Salt is one of those things. I prefer to buy low salt stuff and always try to use unsalted butter. Um, I can then add the salt in a way that suits me. Uh, fun to hear the mention of Malden. Um, it is definitely a favorite of mine now. I finally bought some a few months ago, and it is a game changer. When you need to add some salt at the end, uh, when pulling things out or right before serving, it really enhances things. If you have a pizza stone and use a pizza peel and fresh dough, try throwing some on the peel before putting the dough on and throwing the pizza in the oven. That little bit of salt on the bottom just opens everything up so much more. I'm really curious as to what it might do with a deep dish uh, Detroit style. I think that would work really well. I don't have any of the uh, old plain iodized table salt anymore. I use fine sea salt if needed, keep coarse sea salt, kosher salt, and of course, the Malden. I also have a couple of blends I've been given that work really well, uh, and I'm always open to some more, so I really want to visit Beautiful Briny Sea and experiment. You should. You should. Great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they they do have a website. You can you can mail order it and get it shipped right to you. Again, not a sponsor, just buddies. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But um, those are like those small touches of 
basically adding salt into the bottom of the crust of the pizza. Like yeah. Like, they add so much. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, it's really it's salt is tasty. I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. But I but I agree with you on like like butter. Certainly, I always buy unsalted butter and then add my own as necessary because I just don't want I, I you know, yeah, I want to be able to trust my 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 hand and my eyes and how much mm. salt content is going to get in there. Yeah, I agree. I think it's better. It's easier to put stuff in at the end as opposed to trying to balance too much. There are ways to do it, uh, but trying to balance too much salt. Versus, like, I can add it in and kind of control it and taste it and be like, yeah, okay, yeah. okay, yeah, yes. And then I had somebody in my life for a while that um, couldn't have too much salt. Mm-hmm. And so I've become very cognizant of mm. how much I need you're to using. Be aware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've had that too. I have, on the other hand, had a roommate who loved to cook and fabulous human um definitely had a higher salt tolerance uh-huh. than anyone else in the house <laughs> and yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah and so it could get a little bit intense um so somewhere yes. the happy medium i'm very cautious with salt and he's very heavy-handed so that mm-hmm. we i was i was like we really need to meet in the middle my guy <laughs> like that <laughs> <Right>. learn from <laughs> each other <laughs> right you can add more later if you want for your yes. plate <laughs> but for the rest yes yes well thank you so much to both of those listeners for writing in if you would like to write to us you can our email is hello at saverpod.com we are also on social media you can find us on twitter facebook and instagram at saverpod and we do hope to hear from you saver is a production of iHeartRadio for more podcasts from iHeartRadio you can visit the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at San Diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop.